11. Uh, one of the announcements I didn't give CJ to make because I wanted to make it myself was we are going to be making some changes on how we go about getting you involved in certain things like the Valentine's Day banquet because here we are for two months announcing the Valentine's Day banquet. All you got to do is go online. It's been set up way early. You go, click, click, click. Man, you're signed up. But yet week after week after week, we just got to keep hounding and hounding and hounding. And it's not just the Valentine's Day banquet. It's any event we ever do. So therefore, we are going to be changing how that's done through a what's called a mass app or mass communication um, situation where we use a company that will allow us to put in all your phone numbers and we send one text to you. They'll have an opportunity. So hypothetically, we want to do the Valentine's Day banquet. We put that in there and even give you a link to click that will take you straight to the place where you can sign up on uh, Sign Up Genius or whatever. And so what we're going to do, it takes about three weeks to get set up because there's a lot of scrutiny involved in making sure that we are a legit organization before we're just some group out there doing telemarketing. And, and so we're doing that. Now, one of the things that you're going to have the option to do is to bow out of it. In other words, you can cancel and say, I don't want these texts. Okay, you'll get that. But that means if you choose to go, no, I'm opting out, then don't complain when you don't know what's going on. Because we're going to use this as the method of how we reach out for Wedstrong, how we reach out uh, via Valentine's Day banquet and uh, ladies meetings and stuff like that. And so uh, there'll be more to come when we get online to where we can do it. The first one that will come out to you will be a how you sign in. In other words, uh, Alexis will fill all that out, send it out to you, and you can go from there. And so just kind of giving you a heads up because you will be getting those hopefully within the next three weeks. So let's definitely remember uh, that. Now, like I said, we're trying uh, our best to get everybody signed up. If you don't sign up by next Saturday and you still want to come, bring your own lunch. And the reason being is the reason we're trying to do this is so that we can prepare the amount of food that we need to get done for this event. And all we're asking you to do is go in and click, click, click. I mean, you do that a million times a day anyway. So let's definitely remember that. Matthew 11 in your Bible, we're going to be talking today, obviously, about faith and doubt. And before we even get to the verses, I just really want to ask you, have you ever doubted? Since being a Christian, or maybe before you became a Christian, or even both, have you ever really doubted and thought, man, what am I going to do about this? Now, I would ask you, if, you've, if you're a person who's never doubted, but then I'd just have to call you a liar in front of everybody, and that wouldn't go well. Because we all, at times, doubt. And what makes it really rough is because of the way religion and society and churchianity is set up, when we do doubt, we don't feel enough comfort to come to other Christians about those doubts. In many cases, those doubts are not allowed to be discussed. I'll give you an example. Are you allowed to question God? Now, that's a, that's a strange question to ask because you'd think, well, I, I don't know, am I? Well, it depends on which pastor you're going to ask. I'm telling you, I don't feel one bit problem with questioning my heavenly father concerning things on this planet. 
And the reason why I say that is because if he is my heavenly father, then as an earthly dad, I have no problems with my kid questioning me. Now, I would, I would have no, I'd, I'd definitely tell my kids, careful how you question, okay? I demand facts, okay? Well, you may not get them the way you want them, but either way, is it okay to question? Is it okay to question your faith? Parents, you ever have a kid, get about 16, 17, 18, go into college, and now all of a sudden they're questioning Christianity, they're questioning what they were taught in the Bible? Do you know in most situations, we don't want teenagers doing that? And we teach them, oh, you can't question God. You can't question the Bible. Well, a faith that cannot hold up under the scrutiny of questioning is not a faith worth having. Which means, if I'm not allowed to question my God, and I'm not allowed to question the Word of God, and question my faith, if all that's just going to make it fall apart, then it's just not really worth it then. And the bottom line is, for you and I, we get in places in our life, and we we want to question some things, but we know the scrutiny that will come to us from other believers. And so sometimes we just keep that quiet. Whether it's our salvation, whether it's our walk with God, whether it's uh, the plan of God in our life, we, we don't know what it is at times. But understanding that faith is always going to be questioned. Okay? I don't care who you are. You say, well, Corey, I've got this thing all figured out. Well, hallelujah. Because I don't. You say, are, are, you, are you wavering? No. What I'm saying is I still have a lot of questions. I don't have questions about the birth of Christ or the deity of Christ. I, I don't have questions about, uh, you know, my salvation. I did at one time. I got saved in 1994 and around, around 2003, I went through a period in my life where I was just like, oh, did, did I say the right words? Did, what, did I pray it right? And you said, why would you do that? Well, number one, your soul is the most valuable thing you have according to Scripture. Okay? And, and that soul is in the balance when it comes to this thing of salvation. If you miss it, you don't get another opportunity. So there is absolutely nothing wrong for an individual. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us to examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith. So therefore, for me to stop and go, whoa, now I, I would tell you a lot of the, the questioning I was having about my salvation was because I was, you know, from an independent funding Baptist and, and you know, we, we put a lot of emphasis on the prayer, which is, I'm for the prayer, but there's a lot of people that have walked up in this altar, said a lot of prayers, walked out and was never changed. And the decision to become a Christ follower isn't based on a prayer. It's based on the decision to say, yes, you are the son of God. Yes, you died for me, and I trust you and you alone for my salvation. Okay, that's it. Now, I have no problems if you're here today and you're doubting your salvation. We can deal with that. I have no problems with you sitting here today and you're doubting Christianity. Okay, we can deal with that. I have no problems with, with whether you even realize God is real or not. All those things should be allowed to be questioned. Because I believe our faith uh, 
up, stands up against the scrutiny that comes at it. But think about it. Some of you might have went to college, and Andy Stanley tells the story about his freshman year at Georgia State and how one professor ripped them apart, and he started questioning his whole faith. Now, he went to the level of changing his views on how he deciphers the Word of God. Now, I don't. I believe that the vast majority of the scrutiny putting on Christianity is easily debunked if you just stop and go through it. However, I have no problem somebody in this church going, hey, are we sure? Are we sure this is the right way? Are we sure that Jesus is the only right way to heaven? About 20 years ago, I, when Brother Charles was the pastor here, I used to sit right where CJ sits, not today, but normally, and right next to me was a guy named Wayne Meadows, who is a pastor over in, in Hiram right now. And Wayne and I uh, kind of grew up going through the Bible together, and we were both ordained together as a, at the same day. And, and one Sunday night, a guy was preaching, and I don't even remember who it was or what he was preaching on, but it was something to do about uh, the next life or going to heaven or something like that. And I leaned to him, and I said, has it ever dawned on you that you don't have 100% proof until you die and he turned to me and he said yeah and we're not allowed to ask that now he and I could say it to each other because it was the iron sharpening the iron and we were we would have those discussions but man you bring out that discussion in a church-wide group and watch what happens you can't ask that what do you mean are you doubting okay well before you rip me apart here I'm just asking a question which is what most young people are doing when they question Christianity, and yet we've got them doomed to being liberals, okay? No, let them ask the questions. Because we have no doubt that the, the scripture that we're going to give you will stand against every truth that you supposedly think you're coming at it with. Right? Now, so I'm going to get to a guy here. In Matthew 11, we're going to read the first 11 verses, and I want you to notice this is John the Baptist. So if you're here today and you're going, Corey, I've doubted before in my life, you're not alone. The greatest Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist, is right there with you. You're joining company with him. Here's what it says, and it says, it came to pass when, uh, where's my clicker? Wow, I haven't done this in a while on a Sunday morning and... I don't even have a clicker, and for those of you that don't even know what a Bible is and bring in one, I have to put the screen up here for you. So, all right, and it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of the commanding of his twelve, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto them, Are thou he that should come? In other words, are you the Messiah? Or should we look for another? Now, that's a bold statement. And you're going to find out why it's so bold. But then notice Jesus. Notice he doesn't go, how dare he question my authority? How dare he question who my deity? How dare he question who I am? That is not what Jesus does. Jesus answered and said unto them, go and show John. In other words, go give John proof. So when our young people are questioning Christianity, we shouldn't down them. We should just give them the proof. And notice what he said. John, uh, go show John again those things which ye, watch this, do hear 
and see the blind receive now here's what's interesting he's going to quote isaiah 35 and isaiah 61 he says the blind receive their sight the lame walk the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them okay verse six blessed is he who shall not be offended in me and as they departed jesus said unto the multitudes concerning john what went ye out into the wilderness to see because remember John at one time was the rock star. He's the guy that paved the way for Jesus. And so here it is, 400 years of silence, God has not spoken. And the nation itself began to doubt. The nation itself began to grow weary in believing in the truth of God's Old Testament prophecies because God has went silent for 400 years. If you're like me, you're looking at God at times going, God, what are you doing? Is that rapture thing near? I, can, we, can we get on with this thing of you breathing, firing vengeance upon this place? Now, you may not think that way. I do, but part of that's because I'm looking around at the world. But either way, here's, here's John, this rock star, and he's out there in the wilderness, and people left the big city to go out and hear the mountain man preach. Okay, this is, this is, now listen, this guy wouldn't have looked like the Pharisees in all their garb. I mean, this guy, for a lack of better terms, would have looked like the Duck Dynasty dude. Now, watch them for entertainment. Do not listen to them when it comes to the gospel, okay? If you know anything about what they're preaching, it does not line up with scripture. Baptism does not wash away your sins. If they understood how to define baptism and which baptism applies to Israel and which one applies to the New Testament church, they could get that stuff straight. But either way, I'm just trying to give you a mental image. We got a, you know, Phil Robertson out here on the backside of the desert preaching. People went out to see him. He says, listen, he says, what'd you go out there to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Now, I want you to understand that word soft is the same word translated in other places in your Bible, effeminate. Okay? He's letting you know this is a man's man you went out to go see. A man, I'm going to talk about what he proclaimed, but I'm trying to give you the point that this guy didn't waver one ounce when he started out. And yet here he is preaching out here. He says, behold, they wear soft clothes in king's houses, but what went ye out to see? A prophet Yea, I say unto you, more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Now watch this. Now he didn't rip on John. John's questioning him right now. Jesus, are you the Messiah or should we look for somebody else? And Jesus comes back and when he speaks of John, he doesn't rip on him. Matter of fact, he says, there's, he says, among them that are born of women, there is not one risen greater than John the Baptist. Now, think about that. While we don't allow even our college students to question Christianity, Jesus was questioned himself by John, and he turns around and calls John one of the greatest prophets ever. He is the greatest Old Testament prophet. And his preaching was Old Testament economy. Now watch this. Notice he said, there's none that are born of woman that is greater than John. Now, now hang with me. Watch the next part. He says, 
notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Do you know who he's referring to? You and I. So when he says, John is born of a woman, what are you and I born of? We're born of God. He's giving you a distinction between Old Testament saints, John's the greatest of them, and New Testament saints that are born a different way. You understand, John the Baptist was not born again. He wasn't. You say, whoa, you can't say that. Yes, I can say that. Show me one Old Testament individual who had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who knew what the new birth was, who was ever regenerated. None of those things ever happened in the Old Testament. This is a whole different setup that you and I are a part of. So now here we guys, we got John, right? Now I want you to notice when it comes to this thing about faith and doubt and how they go hand in hand. Here this guy, Herman Hess, who was a poet and a literary guy from Germany back in the day, and he made this statement. He said, faith and doubt go hand in hand. They are complementary. One who never doubts will never truly believe. And the reason being is how can you call it faith if there's not an element for doubt? And I'll, I'll explain. In order to have an up, you've got to have a down. In order to have a left, you've got to have a right. So in order to have faith, there has to be the possibility of doubt. Otherwise, it's not faith. Okay, now I want you to understand, because I'm going somewhere throughout this service with this thought. Now, faith and unbelief are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Faith and unbelief are opposites. Doubt is not unbelief. Doubt is the suspension between faith and unbelief. So somebody comes and they are questioning or having doubt on their faith is not the same as saying, I don't believe that. They're just simply asking for confirmation. They're asking for more evidence. They're, they're reaching out like John. John isn't saying, I knew you weren't the one, Jesus. Matter of fact, he's just saying, hey, I'm, I'm double checking here. Are you the one or should we look for another that's not unbelief. That's simply a man trying to get confirmation or more evidence to, to bolster his faith. His faith was waning. His faith was eroding away. And what he needed was something to help him boost his faith. And how that happens is through questioning. Another way of saying this, doubt is not the opposite of faith. It is the element of faith. So if you've walked in here this morning and you're doubting whether that's your salvation, whether that's the plan of God, whether that's anything in life, whether it's Christianity as a whole, if you've walked in here today and you're doubting, that doesn't mean you're an unbeliever. It just simply means you've got some questions that need to be answered. And we don't shy away from that. We want to answer them. We want to be able to take the book and we want to take the evidence that proves the gospel of Jesus Christ and assure your faith. And I have no problems with any young person in here or old person questioning anything about what we are or who we are. You know, I asked the question, can you question God? Well, I'll tell you this much. Any leader 
that cannot be questioned is not a great leader. That's a horrible leader. As a pastor here now, but when I was the pastor here, I have no problem somebody questioning my doctrine. They question my Bible preaching, question uh, the finances at this church, question how we do procedures at this church. Because when you have nothing to hide and you know that your answers hold up against the scrutiny, you don't care. Like you're like, oh, that's a cool question. What do you got? Because I haven't done anything wrong here, so ask me what you want to ask. And so therefore, our God, who is the greatest leader of all time, has no problems with you and I going, God, what about this? Now, I want you to start, and we're going to have four points today, and I want you to notice, number one, the proclamation of John. Now remember, in the story of where we're at right now, John is questioning Jesus. Are you the one, or should we look for another? Now, let's go back to John's proclamation back in the day. And he noticed in Matthew 3, 1 through 6, he says, in those days, and for the students of the Word of God, if you want to see a comparison here, this will take you to the tribulation, but that's not what we're doing today. And you can study about Elijah and, the new, and Moses and tie this all in, but that's a whole other story. Now, notice that. In those days, what days? The days before Jesus came came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness and said, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's the first guy after 400 years of silence going, Hey, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And by the way, I don't have time to unload this verse, but man, there is more here than you even begin to understand. All right, now watch. And he goes on, he says, For this is he who is pro- uh, the prophet Isaiah saying, the one crying into the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight his path. And the same John had his raiment of camel hair and leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. So in other words, this is exactly what Jesus said. Is that what you were going out into the wilderness to see? Now watch this. And then went out he of Jerusalem and Judea and all the regions round about Jordan and were baptized of him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Okay? We go on down to verse 7. He says, and when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to his baptism. So now check this out. John's out here, Duck Dynasty style. I mean, he's dipping people in the Jordan. Well, the Pharisees, the highfalutin religious crew, comes out to see what's going on. He turns to these dudes. Now, you got to remember the, the Pharisees at this time are like the independent fundamental Baptists. They have got all the rules down. And matter of fact, out of the 613 express commands of the Old Testament, they picked up hundreds more to make sure they didn't even get close to breaking rules. That's why we got guys now standing in pulpits saying, you can't wear those cowboy boots. You can't have facial hair. You can't wear any other shirt other than a white shirt. I hear you, Blair. Do you know how much of the book we actually are failing at and you're worried about adding? Okay, who cares what your shirt looks like? How are you living? How's this working here, man? I mean, so here, this is the Pharisees. They come out and they're, they're looking and checking out what's going on. And here's what he does. He turns to them. Oh, generations of vipers who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth Fruit, their, uh, therefore, fruits met for repentance. People didn't speak to people like this. 
They didn't talk to Pharisees like that. Now imagine the crowd. I mean, if you're in the crowd and you've been beat down by these guys your whole existence, and they've offered nothing for you in way of, of living for the Lord, and now all of a sudden John, the wild man's calling them out, you're probably going, check it out. And you're like in the background, amen, and then ducking just in case a Pharisee sees you. Right? But this is him. He, the, the, the crowd's like loving it. He's finally calling out these dudes. Right? And, and goes on and he says, listen. He says, don't, don't tell me you're Abraham's kid. God, God can raise up kids onto Abraham from these rocks. Now, does that sound like a man of faith or not? This man is, man, he is, he's calling them out. And he goes on, he says, I indeed baptize you with water onto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. Ye shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And he goes on talking about a fan and so forth. But you drop down to verse 16, and here's what goes down. In between all that happening, after he's calling out these Pharisees, Jesus steps down and says, I need to be baptized. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. He said, I'm not even worthy to do this. And he's like, listen, just, just do it. Let's, let's baptize me. So when he baptizes the Lord, here's what goes down. He heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. And now check this out. This man of faith who just called out the Pharisees, who just made a proclamation that God can raise up kids from rocks, this man just heard the audible voice of God tell him, that's the one. This is my son. This is the Messiah. This is the one you've been waiting on. Now think that through. Have you ever heard the voice of God? If you say yes, just go ahead and sit back down. You heard something. It wasn't the voice of God. All right? Now check this out. But he heard it. Can I remind you in chapter 11 what he's asking? Are you the one? Or should we look for another? Wait a minute, John. John, you stepped out in faith after 400 years of silence, calling them out, telling people to repent, and you heard the voice of God Almighty. And now you're doubting? Jesus could have brought that up. Oh, look at John here, doubting all the way over here. John, I thought you heard the voice of my dad. That's not what he does. Now, check this out. Comparing Scripture with Scripture, we end up in John. It says, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Do you know he's the first one to ever do it? He's the first one to step out and say, Hey, everybody, that's him. That's the Messiah. That's who we've been waiting for. A little different than Matthew 11. Matthew 11, he's going, Are you the one? Or should we look for another? So when your kid or your adult friend questions things of the Lord, I don't think it's that big of a deal, is it? When the greatest Old Testament prophet who made the proclamation that he is the one, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world, and now all of a sudden in chapter 11 of Matthew, he's going, is he? Are we sure about this thing? Now watch. 
And says, John bear record saying, this is John saying, here's how I knew. John says, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I had knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize. Now, who sent him to baptize? God Almighty. He that sent him to baptize with water. The same said unto me, well, who is that? God. Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remain on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. In other words, it's God's way of confirming to John, this is the one. When you see the dove coming down, boom, that's the one. He heard an audible voice, and he visually saw something. It's interesting because when he starts to struggle, what does Jesus tell him to do? Remind John what you hear and what you see. This is taking him back. Hey, now check this out. Right? So we get over here to verse 36 of John, and he does it again. Behold, the Lamb of God. He believed it so much, he told his disciples, I must decrease, he must increase. Stop following me, start following him. In chapters 3 of Matthew and chapters 1 of John, we got a man full of faith. But something's went down because by the time we get to chapter 11, He's struggling. And just because you're in here today and you have got no doubts, you've got this thing figured out, doesn't mean later on down the road something ain't going to happen and you're going to start questioning some stuff. I've said this at nauseam, and I hope you get it. I will say it as long as there's breath in my body. Never forget in the darkness what God has taught you in the light. Which means when, when all hell breaks loose in your life, we have a tendency in that darkness to forget the things that God has already taught us when life was going good. And in those dark periods, we begin to question things that we at one point would have said absolutely to. But now, I don't know. Now watch. We're going to get to number two, John's desolation, okay? One of the greatest ways to get you to question your faith is suffering. Death of a loved one, cancer coming into somebody's life, loss of a job, sickness of some kind, you know, Mark, uh, obviously Justin's dad, was a big deal in my world and many other guys. In his early 60s, gets cancer and dies out of nowhere. Now, we're not talking about a guy that didn't have, it wasn't like he was old and decrepit. Guys like that don't die. We expect them guys to keep going. And here's the question I had for God. Because there's another guy that ran alongside of Mark, who was a big influence in my life as well, who gave up the book, who changed and dropped his stances. That guy is still alive and preaching. But Mark was taken home. And part of me went, hey, God, what are you doing? 
There's very few of us that are going to stand on this truth this way, and you're taking out one of them now? We got work to do. Why are you taking him? Why don't you take the other guy? He quit anyway. Now, is it okay that I did that? I have no problem. I'd ask that God. I ask it still to this day. Why would you take out a guy that's getting it done? Take out the guy that quit. Take out the guy that doesn't care anymore. But the guy that did, why did you take him? We have a tendency when desolation comes into our life to begin to start just really questioning what's going on. And understandably, you ever look at Job? I hope so. I preach a lot of Wednesday nights on it. Right? Job. Now, now, notice this. Job questioned God throughout the whole book. But remember, the challenge was not to get him to question God. The challenge was to get him to curse God. So what did he do? Satan goes, hey, man, you got a hedge about him. So what's Satan? God says, okay, do your thing. Takes away his kids because he knew that would cause suffering. Took away his wealth because he knew that would cause suffering. Took away his health because he knew that would cause suffering. He left his wife. Because he knew that would cause suffering, all right? No mention of the mother-in-law being taken out either. My, my point is, Job questioned constantly. But he never cursed God. We're not talking about young people cursing God in here. We're just talking about people questioning. Is this right, God? Right, now, now, hang with me. Now, notice here. He, he comes to him, and he's been in prison. Now, when he was out on the Jordan banks, gripping it and ripping it, everything was great. But from that point to where we're at in Matthew chapter 11, something's went down. And that something goes all the way over here to Matthew chap or Mark chapter 6, 17 through 19. And what it is, the king has now been remarried, and he's married to his brother's sister. And what's going down is, you know, that seems to be okay in Alabama and all that, but at this time, that was not allowed. And John was like, hey, dude, uh, that ain't right. That's a sin. You need to stop that. Well, it irritated Herod, but it didn't have nowhere near the irritation on Herod as it did on Herod's wife. The Bible says if she could have, she'd have killed him. So what's happened is he takes John and locks him up in a dungeon. Now, I want you to understand, this is not like the, the Club Med jail systems that we have in America today. This would have been deep down inside of a dungeon. It's wet. It's damp. It stinks. You're chained to a wall. You've got other men. There's feces everywhere. It's, it's a bad situation. And I want you to try to, in your mind's eye, put yourself in that position and then ask yourself if you wouldn't be questioning God. And all of a sudden, in this desperation, He's like, oh man, what's the deal? Maybe I missed it. Maybe he wasn't the one. Because I'm in prison, right? Vance Havner, who 
if you don't know, you need to know this man's long since gone, but one of the greatest Southern Baptist pastors ever. Pastored in North Carolina, uh, and he died, like I think, in 86. But he said this concerning John. Here in the dungeon of doubt, John fell into despair and depression. The man who could reprove kings and call religious people snakes can also get down in the dumps just like you and I. It's one thing to stand on the Jordan and give it. It's another thing to sit there and in jail and take it. It's easy to preach right now in this church on this Sunday morning with a group of people who love the Lord. It's awesome. It's a whole other thing to be put your life in massive persecution and have the same attitude. And yet, here he is. Depression has hit in. Man, another guy I went through was Elijah. In chapter 19, he's down and out, and he says this, and Ahab told Jezebel and all Elijah had done, and with all he had, uh, slain all the prophets with the sword. Now, you know what happens in chapter 18, right? This dude, Elijah, calls down fire out of heaven. That's in 18. Now, who wouldn't want to see that? Like, that is, man, I wish I could do it. I would zap a lot of people, right? But, but check this out now. Here's Elijah, who has just called fire down out of heaven, and God has used him to, to create this great revival. The very next chapter, this woman threatens to kill him. And not just kill him, but mutilate him. And, and, and he ends up going over here under a tree asking God to kill him. Now, where was his faith now? You weren't scared of 400 prophets, but yet you're scared of her? Now, how about, how about Peter? Peter just watched his Savior be butchered on a cross, be buried, Three days later, he rises. He's so confused at what's going on, which is funny, because after three and a half years of being told what was going to go down, he still couldn't wrap his mind around it. And you know what he says? I'm going fishing. What was he doing before Jesus found him? Fishing. So what is he doing? He's just going back to his natural life. Like, man, I'm done with all this. I'm going to go do what I know to do. I'm just going to go fishing. He has a crisis of faith in his life, and what does he do? He goes back to acting natural, the natural man. How about Paul? Paul says it this way, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. In other words, we just got to the point we wanted to die. This is Paul. So if you're here today and you're doubting, you're in great company. Doubting is a part of the walk of faith. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is my favorite verse in all the Bible. CJ, come here. Leave your glasses there. Come here. Take that tie off. I want, I want, you, to, I want you to see this as he's coming up. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on your own understanding. You know what gets in our way? 
our reasoning, our thoughts. Now check this out. Let me see that. Come here. What's the deal here? Did your mom tie this for you? No, I did. All right. Now, now, now stand here and face the people, the firing squad. Put this over your eyes. All right. This is the Christian life. This is faith. You ever seen Jesus? You ever met him? You ever put your hand in his side? I haven't. The only thing I know about this Jesus is this book told me about him, and I know what lives inside of him. And what he's asking for you to do in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in me with all your heart. Lean not on thy own understanding. And so what he wants to do is come up beside you, and he wants to just walk you away, right? Why are you, why are you skipping? Sure. Now, you know what's getting in his way? He should be trust. I'm his dad. I would never let anything hurt him. But he knows in his own reasoning something out there that causes him to pause. And he just, he's got to trust me. Now, we're laughing. You understand, this is your daily walk. You don't know what tomorrow is. Sometimes in that darkness, we forget what he taught us in the light. And the problem is we start leaning on, oh, God, I can't do that. I know what's around the corner. Do you? And you can take that off your back. I'll give you another example. Faith versus unbelief. Doubt versus unbelief. Doubt versus faith. If I took a ladder and got Tate up on it, and I say, come on, buddy, jump down to me, you know what he'd do? He'd jump. Now, if I put CJ on that same ladder and go, jump, I will catch you, what will be the difference? His reasoning will stop him because what he'll do is say, uh, <laughs> I don't think you can catch me. Now, if I put Christy up there, she's going to go, I know you won't catch me. <laughs> there is the difference between faith, Tate, doubt, CJ, unbelief with Christy. You see the difference? And this is where we're at. We're at a place in our life we have to decide. And we, we're either going to find ourselves in one of those three places. Number three, John's misinformation. So we talked about his proclamation, his desolation, now his misinformation. Now check this out, and this is very, very important. John is in prison, right? Notice what it says. And when John had heard, heard what? In prison, the works of Christ. What, did, what was it that got him to start questioning? It's what he was hearing. Well, what was he hearing? He was hearing about Jesus hanging out with Pharisees, or hanging out with sinners and Pharisees and publicans. Who, he was hearing about Jesus out here 
teaching, out here healing. And his misinformation was based off of Isaiah 61. Isn't it interesting, I told you earlier, when Jesus quoted scripture back to him, he based it off the same set of scriptures. Now, what was John misinformed about? Okay, John, like every other Israelite, had studied the Old Testament, and what you need to understand is five times more in your Old Testament, God speaks of the second coming of Jesus than he does the first coming. Five times more. So when you read your Old Testament, which Jesus are you reading about? Most of the time, it's that fire-breathing God in human flesh who is coming back to set vengeance on this place. And if you read your Old Testament, you're like, yes! And if you're an old, if you're an Israelite and God's been silent for 400 years and you truly believe that's the one and yet Rome is still in charge and you're in prison, what are you looking for? You're looking for him to establish the kingdom. Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you waiting? I'm still in prison. And according to the Old Testament, you were coming to, to open the prison set them free that had been bound. He had the right verse out of context. It's like you and I waiting on the second coming. God, what are you waiting on? What they didn't know is Jesus had to come and die for their sins first. And he was misinformed, misunderstanding Scripture. And how many of your doubts are messed up, and that you have doubt because you are misapplying Scripture in the wrong place. I can make the Bible say anything I want it to say. Just pull out enough verses out of context, out of their proper positioning, and I can make the, the book say anything I want it to say. That's why there are 9,000 different Christianities. And we all use the Bible. Because God is saying, listen, man, you have got to understand, yes, I am here, but I'm here to die this time. What you're wanting me to do, do you, do you realize they wanted him to ride in on a stallion and take over for the Romans and set up the, set up the kingdom? You know how he rode in? On a donkey. That was on purpose. Now, Jesus comes back. And he reminds them of the very same verses that John would have been thinking of. He says, hey, go tell him that the poor have the gospel preached to them. The good news. Remind John that I have to come and die first. Remind John that I'm here for a different reason this time. Now, I'm closing here. This is, this is the main point. John's confirmation. We see his proclamation, his desolation, his misinformation. Now it's his confirmation. Notice what he's saying here. Are thou he? Now notice he didn't say, Jesus, you're not the one, are you? That's not what he's saying. He didn't tell his disciples, you go tell Jesus I no longer believe in him. He tells his disciples, I need you to go to Jesus and ask this question. Are you the one? Or should I look for another? And Jesus doesn't rip on him. He says, listen, just go back and 
tell John what you hear and what you see. Now, here's the difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is a matter of the mind. Unbelief is a matter of will. And in our minds sometimes where we struggle is we just need more confirmation. It's a, it's a mind issue. And it's not that I don't believe you're the one, Jesus. I just need to know for sure you are the one. I just need more evidence. I need more stuff here to show me where I'm at. I'm in the prison of my life, Jesus, and I need you to show up in a mighty, mighty way. Now watch this. We, we have an example of this. How about Thomas, doubting Thomas? Notice, notice here we got, he says, uh, the other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the prints of his nails and put my fingers into the print of his nails and thrust my hands into his side, I will not believe. Okay? Now, you realize what Thomas was saying is he's not saying, oh, I don't believe anything you're saying. I disagree with all you got. Oh, you said you saw him? I don't believe that for a minute. All he's saying is, I need more evidence. So when our young people in this church question Christianity, we're not to rip on them, we're to give them more evidence. When somebody's questioning their salvation, my job is not to rip on them, my job is to give more evidence. And that's what Thomas is wanting. Man, I've got to be able to see it. Now notice here. And it says Thomas reached hither in his side and in his hands. And so Jesus is like, yeah, have at it, big man. So he does it. Then he says, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Now he's going to talk about me and you. Blessed are they, that's you and I, that have not seen yet believed. I've never seen him. I don't think I will ever see him until I'm at his throne. I'm not looking to see him. By the way, I don't need to see him. I got a book that's perfect. All right, now, watch this. Notice what he says. Now, guys, go back to John and remind him what he hears or what you hear and what you see. Romans 10, 17. <clears throat> How does faith come? By hearing the word of God, right? Now, you may be here today, and you, you may be smarter than me, and you may be thinking, hey, well, wait a minute. You're asking me to bolster my faith in a book that I'm questioning. And I understand that. That's, that's a fair question. I would just give you more evidence to say, oh, that book you're questioning, 40 different authors, over 1,500 years, three different continents, not one contradiction, and most of the writers didn't even know the other. A lot of times quoting the other and never had seen the other one's writings. That same book that has over 365 prophecies concerning the Messiah and Jesus nailed them all. People in the science world that do statistics will tell you the probability of someone being born on this planet fulfilling all 365 prophecies would be as equal to you handing me a diamond ring right now 
I'd drive to Florida, get on a boat, go out into the ocean and drop that diamond ring and then tell you, now go get it. Here's a fishing rod. You get one cast to go down and hook it with the ring with the hook. It's the same probability. And he said, how do you know that? I have no idea. I'm just going off of what they tell me. I don't know math at that level. All right, now, but my point is, the same book that teaches you that has never, ever failed. And I have no problems asking you, please scrutinize this book. Because I have no fear that this book will lose. So I have no problems people questioning the situation. Now, check this out. What was it that let John know, this is a pop quiz, let John know this is the Messiah? What was it? The dove and, that's right, the voice, okay? Now, pay attention. Peter comes along. Now, Peter was on Mount Transfiguration, where Jesus steps up there with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. He unzips the earth suit, steps out, and boom, glory. And they all hit the deck, right? They're all like, let's build tabernacles and live here. And they heard a voice from heaven. The voice of the Heavenly Father saying, this is my son who I am well pleased. Okay, so he literally says this in 2 Peter. Peter's telling you about that event. He says, for we have not followed cunning devised fables when we were made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. In other words, I saw him unzip the earth suit. And he goes to verse 7, and he received from God the Father honor and glory. Where, when were there such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard. In other words, Peter said, I heard it. And when we were, we were in the holy mountain. Now look at verse 19. You talk about questioning the word of God, great. Peter says this. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto we do well to take heed. In other words, you know what he just said? We have something better here than if you'd have had the audible voice of God speak to you. You say, that's not true at all. Hold up, Popeye. John the Baptist heard the voice. What'd he do? He questioned later, right? This book is where you go to find your confirmation. It's where you go to find the peace. It's here where you go to, ca- to calm the doubt in your life. You say, I don't feel like reading. That's the problem. Read when you don't feel like it. Read until you do feel like it. Read until the, the peace that passeth all understanding overcomes you. Because you will never, ever, ever find peace anywhere else than the book that's in front of me. Now, I'm about to close. Check this out. Right? Comes back here now. He says, listen, there's nobody like John the Baptist. He says, but those of you that were born again, he said, you're going to be greater than him in the kingdom. Now, hang with me. Some of you may be here today and you're doubting your salvation. Now, I cannot answer that question for you. I do not have the ability, and let me just help you out. If you're doubting your salvation and somebody says, no, you're fine, stop listening to that person. I don't care who it is. And here's why. 
There is not but one individual, the Holy Spirit of God, that can tell you whether you're saved or not. No human being can tell you whether you're saved. I wish I could. It'd make my job a lot easier. But I hate it. People come to me and go, I don't know if I'm saved. Which I want to help any way I can. Because I've been there. I know what that's like. And all I want to do is take them back to the book and say, this is what God says salvation is. But I cannot tell you whether you're saved. Now, you may be doubting your salvation because the Holy Spirit is tapping on your heart going, hey, you know you're not right with me. You know you're not saved. You need to come forward and get saved. That may be one option. Another option may be the fact is that the, the demonic forces of this world want to keep you in a place of doubt because when you are in doubt of your salvation you are frozen and rendered useless in the work of God and so if you're here today and you don't know whether you're saved or not I, I want to do whatever I can to help you but all I can do is show you this book but check this out the Bible says in Romans eight sixteen, the spirit the Holy Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the ch children of God if the Spirit of God doesn't confirm it, then I would double-check that thing. First John, he says, I've wrote this book, First John, to you. Why did I write it to you? These things have I written unto you that you believe on the name of the Son of, of God and that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So when people doubt their salvation, I'm like, read First John. Just read it over and over and over again until you get confirmation. How about doubting the plan of God? You ever been there? You don't know what to do? You, you can't get direction from God, and now you're doubting what God's doing in your life? You're doubting whether or not you should move this way or move that way? You're doubting because somebody close to you died, and you're going, God, what are you doing? Maybe your child's sick, whatever the case may be, but you're doubting the plan of God in your life because you have misinformation. You don't know what he's doing. And you got to learn to trust him. Jesus said it this way. You guys know the story? The guy brings his daughter who's about to die, or is dead, and, and said, hey, I need you to heal my daughter. And he says, I can do it if you believe with all your heart. And the man says this, and this is one of the coolest verses you'll ever find in Scripture. He said, Lord, I believe. Semicolon. He said, I believe. You know how you know he believed? Because he came to Jesus. Lord, I believe. But help my unbelief. Those shreds of doubt that are in the back and the recesses of my mind, I need you to help me with that, Lord. Because I believe you. And I know what you're about to do is, is beyond reasoning. I believe you. But there's a part of me that's doubting, and I need you to help me with that. Maybe you're here with that. Maybe that's your situation. You don't know what to do because you, you do believe God, and you do believe Jesus, but there's a part of you that has some reservations, and maybe you just need to get before God and say, help me with my unbelief. And last of all, maybe you're doubting Christianity as a whole. Okay. There are 
over a billion Muslims on the planet that tell you we're wrong. There's over a billion Catholics that tell you we're wrong. The Mormons, the Jehovah Witness, the Pentecostals, all will tell you, Cord doesn't know what he's talking about. Okay. We're going to tell you that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's kind of divisive, isn't it? Who are we to get to say that? You're telling me all those other people are wrong? Yes. The Hindus? Yes. Reincarnation, is that wrong? Yes, it's wrong. Well, who am I to get to say all that? Maybe you are in a place where you're just wondering, is this thing of Christianity really, truly right? Jesus says, you want to be my disciple? I need you to sit down and count the cost. He's literally telling you, question it. He says, listen, what man doesn't build a house who doesn't first sit down and do a budget and figure out whether he can do it or not? What king doesn't go out to war to sit down and figure this thing out on whether he can do it or not? And if you're here today and you don't know if you're a Christian, you're about to make the biggest decision you will ever, ever make. It's bigger than who you marry. It's bigger than where you go to church. It's bigger than who, how many kids you're going to have. Your decision to be a follower of Christ is the biggest decision you will ever make. And I'm telling you, you should question it. Don't you decide to be a follower of Christ unless you know he's the way. And I'm telling you, question it. Is Jesus the only way to heaven? You need to know that answer. Because where I came to in my life was really realizing this thought. My only hope was in him. And I knelt before an altar as a kid raised as a Jehovah Witness. Now listen to a bunch of independent Baptists. And I knelt in an altar and I said, Jesus, I don't know who's right. All I know is I need you. And I've questioned a lot of stuff along the way, but I've never questioned him. Because he's always showed up. And I want to do something different. They're going to come get songs ready. But I don't want any music just yet. And I want everybody to bow their heads. I don't want anybody looking around. I want, I want you doing some self-inventory. Is there an area in your life where you're doubting? Maybe you're here today and you don't know if you really buy this thing of Christianity. I'd love to talk to you about it. Maybe you're here today and you don't know for sure if you're saved. Well, the Bible says his spirit will bear witness with your spirit. I would challenge you to come before an altar of God here this morning and just ask God to confirm that. Maybe you're doubting the plan of God in your life. Maybe God took away somebody special. Maybe God has allowed some suffering in your life and you're questioning a lot of those things. Man, this is an opportunity for you and I to just take it to the source do you notice that John didn't go to somebody else? He went to Jesus and asked Jesus, are you the one? 
And maybe right now, while they're going to be playing, maybe this is an opportunity for you to get up out of your seat, come down to an altar, kneel down, and ask Jesus to help you with your unbelief. Let's stand to our feet. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done. We ask and pray, God, that you would bless here today. There's no doubt that many of us struggle in a lot of areas of our life. And we're asking and praying, God, that you would do a great, mighty work in our lives and reconfirm and give us confirmation of all those areas of doubt that our faith may be strong with you. Father, we love you. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.